saving the world one telescope at a time. This week on Planetary Radio. Welcome, I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. The Planetary Society has just announced that eight more Gene Shoemaker Near-Earth Object Grants have been awarded to outstanding amateur astronomers around the world. We'll meet grateful leaders of observatories in Chile, Croatia, and the United States. First, though, the Society's chief scientist will tell us about this nearly 25-year-old program. Bruce Betts has directed it for many years. Of course, Bruce will return for another rollicking trip across the night sky, a random space fact, and a brand new space trivia contest in What's Up? Woohoo! The Perseverance Rover is the new world's record holder for longest drive in a single day. Of course, that world is Mars, where Percy's sister Curiosity was the previous record holder for seven Earth years. 245 meters or 806 feet may not sound like much, but it's a full marathon for a red planet robot. You can see tracks left by Perseverance during its victory lap, at the top of the February 11 Downlink, our free weekly newsletter. Elsewhere in the Downlink, you can read about the visible light photo snapped of the Venusian surface by the Parker Solar Probe. It even surprised the spacecraft's team. And it will come up again next week when I talk here with David Grinspoon. A bit farther down the page is an image of Jupiter's swirling quote-unquote surface that I wouldn't mind having framed on my wall. You'll find it at planetary.org slash downlink. Bruce, it's one of those times when I get to talk to you at both the uh, the top and bottom of the show because we need you to introduce uh, us to this very successful round of the Shoemaker Neo Grant Program. Uh, Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here and always excited to talk about that. For the two or three people out there who maybe aren't (laughs) familiar with the program, (laughs) since we we talk about it pretty regularly, uh, what's this all about? Give us a a quick uh, elevator speech. All right. The Planetary Society's Gene Shoemaker Near-Earth Object Grants Program has been going for about 24 years now, and we give grants mostly to advanced amateur astronomers. These are these are not just pull the telescope out and put it in your backyard, but it's we have observatories and groups of us, and we're highly technical, and we make real contributions. Well, the contributions we help them with is to fund usually equipment upgrades, cameras, uh, making things remote, re-illuminizing their mirrors, so that uh, they can make a real difference in planetary defense and protecting us from the asteroid threat, particularly in tracking, getting extra observations of asteroids, because when you find an asteroid, you know where it is then, but you don't know where it's going. So you need lots more observations. And in characterizing, figuring out things like spin rate, and is it actually a binary asteroid? Are there two instead of one? We also fund some people uh, because they're actually in a good position to make discoveries. And that is particularly Southern Hemisphere observers, like you'll hear from one during the show, where there are not major professional surveys observing right now, so they can pick up the slack in the southern sky. Yeah, that's Alain Maury, one of the three that we will be hearing from in moments. But tell us about this this round and this, this big group. Thanks to the generosity of members and supporters of the Planetary Society, we're able to select our largest group, uh, both in terms of number of 
astronomers and in terms of money this time. So there are eight grants that have been awarded to uh, seven countries on three continents, about $75,000. We've now awarded over half a million dollars in the history of the program to, so I believe it's up to 21 countries around the world. It's exciting and we, we hear it makes a difference. We're taking people who are already successful and kicking them up a notch to the next next ability round. And right now, a lot of it is getting to see dimmer asteroids because the professional surveys find these very dim asteroids. So these groups need more sensitive cameras and the like to improve sensitivity. That's a great preview of what we're going to be hearing from these uh, representatives of these three observatories because, yeah, they talk about seeing uh, higher magnitudes and uh, also how grateful they are to the Planetary Society. I think all three of them do. Um, how does the choice get made? It's not You don't have a dartboard someplace, right? Well, I do, but it's not related. I don't use it uh, for this purpose. Um, that's more for like, what am I watching on TV tonight? We have a expert committee, the review panel, that reviews all of the proposals and makes recommendations to me and then we try to match it to the funding that we have available. And so that's led by Tim Sparr of Neosciences and formerly the head of the Minor Planet Center, where all this information goes when people observe. And he puts together great groups every time. And you can find all of their names on our website in my article that introduces the program. And we are super grateful. They volunteer their time. and They're all professional asteroid hounds. It's good stuff. And I'm grateful because you mentioned the Minor Planet Center. That means I don't have to explain uh, when one of the astronomers we'll be hearing from says MPC in a few minutes <laughs> uh, because I, I didn't do it during the interview. And, and Shoemaker Neo, not overwrite, even though we have another grant program that's now underway and Maybe there'll be some announcements about that one soon. There will. There, in the next very few weeks, we will have the first announce or the announcement of the first ever step grant program, science and technology empowered by the public, and that is much broader and with larger awards. And well, we've got some great stuff there, great proposals. So that'll be coming out soon. We are now done with this round of Shoemaker Neo grants. Well. It really has just started because they're going to actually get the awards and get the new hardware and do great stuff. The Shoemaker Neo Awards run on roughly a, every two-year cadence, so we expect uh, we'll we'll have another set next calendar year. We'll have an announcement probably at the Planetary Defense Conference in Vienna in spring of 2023. We'll announce a new round. Good introduction. I, I guess now we'll go to the first of those uh, astronomers from uh, uh, one of those eight observatories that was lucky enough to get a Shoemaker Neo grant in this round. And I think we're going to start with Gary Hug, who is uh, basically the, the head guy, the PI, the principal investigator at uh, Farpoint Observatory in Kansas. Thanks, Bruce. I'll talk to you uh, during What's Up at the other end. Thank you. Look forward to it. And a reminder, people can learn about all eight uh, on our website. Gary Hug, congratulations on this uh, Shoemaker Neo grant that you and your colleagues there at Farpoint Observatory, operated by the Northeast Kansas Amateur Astronomers League. Well, really, we're talking again because you were one of our awardees uh, some years ago for your Sandlot Observatory, and you were my guest on the show back then in 2012. Yes, and, and in 2019... The Northeast Kansas Amateur Astronomers League also received a grant 
in order to do a remote operation. And it worked well. And thank you very much, by the way. Oh, of course. You're very welcome. (laughs) Uh, We're so proud of all eight of uh, these observatories that that we were able to award funds to uh, in this round of the Shoemaker Neo Grants. Let's start with what you're going to be doing with this uh, little bit short of $11,600 to further upgrade what you've got at Farpoint. The interesting thing was last year we were able to contact, we were applied for an application for a grant from the Mount Cuba Astronomical Foundation, and I think they're out of Delaware, and we got a grant to replace the mirror that's now in the Tombaugh Telescope at Farpoint. It's a 27-inch F3 mirror that we have on order, and it's supposed to be coming in any time, hopefully within the next month or so, and we're going to completely redo the telescope, the length of the telescope tube, shorten it up considerably, This camera will be very beneficial for a new setup because an F3, you need higher resolution than what our camera is producing right now. That camera will not only have a very wide field of view, it will also have good resolution as it does even at F5.5. 27-inch F3, which mm-hmm. is a very fast optical system, right? Yes. I mean, that's that's so impressive. And it's very practical for us. Uh, r- right now, we've got a, a, a roll-off roof observatory, okay? And in the plains of Kansas, you don't get calm winds very often all night long. So uh, we thought about this for a long time, and we really wanted to shorten the tube up so it's not sticking up like a kite in the wind. and <laughs> And and hopefully uh, it will be a little more usable, even in the conditions where you've got a 5 or 10 mile an hour wind. Past that, not many scopes do very well with an open observatory. It works out really well. All the dimensions work out really well for getting more use out of the telescope because of the change in the optics. So between Mount Cuba Astronomical Foundation and the great folks there, at the Planetary Society, uh, we've, we've been able to make this kind of come together, and hopefully within the next month, we'll have it all done. I don't know. It's good. It may be six weeks. <laughs> That's not bad. That's not bad at all. Did I read correctly that this is replacing a 10-year-old camera? Because cameras have come a long ways in 10 years. Yes, it's a 10-year-old camera, at least that long, that much. Anyway, uh, yeah, we're... And it was a good camera, and it does a good job. But, but it, yeah, you're right. The technology changes that have taken place is just amazing in 10 years. And so this will definitely be a big plus for us to get that kind of depth and resolution. These cameras are, are all backlit now. The backlit chips are just very, very sensitive. So hopefully between the camera and our updated uh, optics, we're going to have a a bigger field of view so we can find some of the ones that are a little bit off prediction, some of the neos that are a little bit off prediction. It gives us a better shot at it. Tell me a little bit more about Northeast Kansas Amateur Astronomers League, or thank goodness we can shorten that to NECAL, uh, which is the operator Farpoint Observatory. And, And I know that you have, what, at least three major associates there. It's a small club. We've got about 35 members, but of course, and, and you know, you always have a core group that does uh, about 90% of the work, which which is pretty common, I think, with clubs. 
that's how it goes. Yeah. 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 So, uh, but anyway, this, this group, uh, Russ Valentine, who is our IT guy, uh, has been uh, very productive in, in helping us get through the, the tough stuff with computers. And then I've got uh, David Krober, who is a lead observer. I'm not the lead observer. I'm kind of the PI, but I'm not the lead observer. He's kind of been the one that's been physically there most of the time. Doug Gooding, Dr. Doug Gooding, who's a K-State professor, he's kind of our science advisor, also actively involved in observing. Uh, we've, we've got a good group. Give them all our regards. Tell me uh, also about how you're doing with your own Sandlot Observatory, which is really almost literally, I guess, there in your backyard. You were just telling me about some some amazing observations you've been able to do, uh, very faint objects. Yeah, I was after after the the mirror had been resurfaced. It's a twenty two inch. I used to be able to get down to 21 and about 21.3, 21.5. That was usually my limit, and I just couldn't seem to get past that. But now with the it's new... It's pretty good, though. Well, it's not bad. It's a, it's a start. <laughs> um, but, but now at this point, uh, with, the, with the optics being redone, it really did make a big difference, a full magnitude difference. So I'm now getting down to 22.3, 22.4. I think that's... That's kind of a standard. I, I think you could probably get to 22 and a half on a good night. This is very significant for people who have even a little bit less astronomy knowledge than I do. They may be thinking, well, gee, a difference of one magnitude? What's the big deal? It is a big deal. Yes, right. Well, it's it's a two and a half times factor for every magnitude. So uh, magnitude 21, you, in, in a magnitude 21 to magnitude 22, you're seeing two and a half times dimmer objects. So that's quite a bit. That really opens up a wide area of, of asteroids. And and to be honest, lately, the NEO-CP page is full of 21 to 22, 22 and a half. So very important that those faint objects get picked up because they don't have a lot of following. They don't have a lot of input. There's not very many observatories that reach 22 and a half. And these are objects that deserve to be followed, uh, not just out of scientific curiosity, but because some of them are still pretty good sized. I mean, it could ruin some city's whole day if if uh, they were to meet up. Yes, that's <laughs> that's very true. Um, yeah, I I tell people I look for I look to make sure that rocks don't fall on our head. Um, that's <laughs> that's really kind of kind of my goal here. I. I there's a, there's a lot of things I could be doing with my time, and I don't go to the bar. So, um, <laughs> I, and like, uh, Clyde Tomball used to say that all the time. He used to say, well, you know, you can't spend time in the bars and, and be doing this. And it's nice that you actually have a telescope named after the great, uh, the great Clyde Tombaugh. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a nice touch. Tell me that story again about the 27-inch uh, mirror. It's not just named in Tombaugh's honor. Yeah, the, the it's got a little history behind it, and part of our our ability to do this stuff for as long as we've done it so far is because the, the University of Kansas decided to loan us a 27 inch mirror that they had in their facility. That actually Clyde Tombaugh used that mirror in a telescope and refurbished the telescope as part of his master thesis at KU. Wow. 
<laughs> so so it has some it has some historical historical and it makes me really nervous when I have to pull that out of the telescope and put in the new one because I don't want to drop it. You know what I'm saying? It's it's important. That that mirror was uh, called the Pitt mirror. It was William Pitt who was an industrialist in Kansas City in the 1930s that made that mirror in his pool drained pool is <laughs> where this was done. So so there is some history behind it. It's made Pyrex, and it was one of the first castings of, of Pyrex used in telescopes. And went on to be used for such other famous mirrors as the 200-inch at the Hale Telescope. Yes, up, right, up right exactly, exactly. So it's full of history. My thanks to Kansas University for loaning us that for such a long period of time. Absolutely, and what a legacy. Is it a priority not just to do astronomy there, but to share this this passion that all of you in the club have for astronomy, is there some public outreach? Certainly. You really can't not do public outreach, and uh, you know, especially with a facility like ours. We have a 50% research and 50% EPO kind of outlook. Education uh, and public outreach, EPO. Uh, yes. We definitely have to have to do a, a lot of public outreach, and, and you know, we try to do our, our share of it. Uh, we, we, we tend to kind of push the research side a little bit, but you got to have both. You really do. Before I let you go, I have to ask, uh, Farpoint, Farpoint Observatory? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so live long and prosper would be appropriate? I know that people can't see me, but, you know, I, I have that kind of a Picard look. <laughs> you do. My, well, my so bald head. I have a hat on. But yes, but if, yes, what we're talking about here, it was, I guess it was the pilot for uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes. And the Enterprise D visits a place called Far Point Station. And uh, I, I'd say, you know, middle of the country there in Kansas, that's a pretty good place to put something called Far Point. Actually, when I say that, I have to, I, I have to, by legal standards, say that we're not associated with Paramount Pictures and so on and so forth. Because, because we, when we first named it Farpoint, we actually had to do that. We got a letter uh, from the, from Paramount, and we had to contact their lawyers and clear this usage. So, <laughs> and we did. So, you know, we're we're good. I'm sure Captain Picard would have been very upset with Paramount because uh, it <laughs> seems to me that you are simply honoring that uh, that great television. Yeah, sure, uh, of course. Gary, really, all I need to do is wrap up and say uh, congratulations once again. Uh, we look forward to hearing about the even greater results that you guys get there at Farpoint Observatory and at your own Sandlot Observatory. Certainly at uh, at Farpoint, thanks in part to this. Uh, this great new camera. Uh, so uh, clear skies. Well, thank you, Matt. And, and the Planetary Society members are the best. Thank you for that. And Hal. That's Gary Hug of NECAL, the Northeast Kansas Amateur Astronomers League and its Farpoint Observatory. I'll be back in less than a minute with two more Shoemaker Neo Grant recipients and the return of Bruce Betts. I'm Planetary Society Chief Advocate Casey Dreyer. Are you interested in our day of action to advocate for space, but can't commit to a full day of congressional meetings? Or do you live outside the United States? Either way, I have great news for you. You can go to planetary.org slash day of action and pledge to take action with us on March 8th. 
We'll provide you with easy, effective actions you can do on your own time from anywhere in the world. That's planetary.org slash day of action. Thank you. Corrado Korlevich leads what may be one of the most beautiful science facilities on Earth. The Vishnion Observatory is on a hilltop in Croatia, not too far from the Adriatic Sea. The Planetary Society has awarded $12,000 to the observatory for purchase of a powerful new CMOS camera for its one-meter telescope. Corrado and I talked a few days ago. Corrado, congratulations on your and the Vishnion Observatory's reception of a Shoemaker Neo grant. Welcome to Planetary Radio. Thank you for having me. And second, also, thanks for the grant and the possibility to have the new CCD camera and to continue the work that we are doing. But it also supporting us morally because it is not only the money, the camera, but also that somebody see that you are working and somebody take care of that and, and like that you exist. So, yeah, thanks for all of that. Absolutely. You're very welcome. And we are we are proud to be able to do this for you. Now, I've been on the observatory website and I've seen a long list of other organizations, most of them fairly close to you. It looks like you get a good deal of public support for everything that you do there at the observatory. So it, lo- it looks like we're in good company. It is not only observatory. We are mainly an educational program. And we are a network of non-governmental organizations dedicated to education. And uh, if you want to inspire somebody, astronomy is probably one of the best ways to do it. So we are using astronomy as a bite. The hook is mathematics, physics, whatever, but you need to put something on the on the hook. So astronomy is one of the... It is not only astronomy. Archaeology is very different, but also it is unbelievable bite for kids because you have other beautiful things inside. So astronomy is one of the parts. To show them how astronomy is done, you need to be excellent in something. And we decided that asteroids, uh, follow-up asteroids, helping the community of taking care of the potentially hazardous object, it is something. And it is also a tradition of our observatory that many, many years we were involved in the research of the Tunguska impact site in the 1908. I was there twice with the Russians. And we then decided that it's useless to observe the impact place. It is better to found the object for the next one and try to prevent the impact. So we decided just to go in building new telescopes, writing new software, educating kids how the business is done. And many of them choose uh, astronomy as the profession, and a lot of them ended in the United States. That's very impressive. If I lived nearby, I think I would be up on your hillside all the time. It is a beautiful, beautiful site, and uh, your facilities also look wonderful. I'm thinking in particular of you have a, a one-meter telescope, a th- roughly 39-inch uh, mirror on that telescope. That's quite impressive. We got it from the scrapyard. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, and we worked on that telescope for 12 years to make it work. And we robotize it, change all the motors, add encoders, 
And now we are thinking about new optics also, a new mirror. So the comma correctors, all the part that is very important to have a wide field of view, we already have. And we are now thinking to build ourselves a next mirror or just to go to bigger one because the race to smaller magnitude object, it is... It is unbelievable with the new telescope, the, the Rubin one that is coming, and we need to go at least one magnitude deeper. So we are already thinking what is the next generation of telescope job to be done. We have uh, students thinking about that. Hopefully, we are going to follow it. We have been hearing from uh, some of your colleagues. They have the same goal, uh, reaching for those dimmer and dimmer objects. What are you hoping that this uh, this new camera that the grant is paying for, and the other work you're doing on the telescope, to what magnitude do you th- hope to be able to uh, see objects uh, in the coming years? For this camera, it is going to be practically one-third of magnitude uh, bellow, but this portrait is going to be a little bit more filled because if, mm. when you are doing follow-up and confirmation, the uncertainty of the position of the object it is sometimes a lot, and you need to, to cover bigger part of the field with multiple exposure uh, and multiple field to try to find the object that is already lost after 12 hours of not following, especially if they are Atlas objects, the really bright one, the fast one. You, you just need to cover a larger field of view. So bigger sensor means bigger coverage, bigger, bigger surface, bigger probability to recover the object. So dimmer, being able to see dimmer objects and more of them, a wider field of view as well. You mentioned the follow-up work that the, the observatory does, but I also saw that you've had a terrific record of discovering new objects. In fact, that in 2020, you were third ranked in the world for, for NEO discoveries, which is pretty impressive nowadays with all of the other uh, government-supported surveys underway. These are not NEO. These are main bell objects. So Ah, Okay. We found also some NEOs uh, because when you iron the sky and, and searching everything, you, you find sometimes NEOs. But our field of view is not at the moment uh, worth trying to compete with uh, the survey telescope. We just realized that it's most important not to lose the discovered one. And uh, our best contribution, it is not to try to compete with them, but to just... Uh, help them not to lose objects. And, and in this, we are relatively good. Many years ago, we managed to try to make some surveys. We discovered more than 1,400 new asteroids, mm. main belt, some comets. But this is just part of showing the kids that it's possible to be done. And if you are dedicated, if you have an idea what to do, you can really can make from... Not a great equipment, but with a great idea, with creativity, you can compete. And and this is something that we want to show to the kids. And they wrote a fantastic software to, to be able to do that. And they realized that they are good. And this is what we want to do. Just show them how good they are. And they they need to have these high hopes not to try to, to play small. With all of these terrific educational activities, STEM and STEAM activities that the observatory conducts with, with young people, with children, I wonder, has it been a challenge for you over the last couple of years during the pandemic? And how has that affected your uh, ability to, uh, to uh, look for and follow up on uh, near-Earth objects? It was a great time. 
the society is so full of impediments and, and problems that is generating to your job. And when society is some kind of blocked, you have more free time to do education, to do science, to do everything. And also here in Croatia was not a great deal. So everybody took his responsibility and tried to avoid the, the blockage that state was inventing every day and just play your game. And we made probably the most of, of the pandemia. So we, the only problem that we ha had uh, with equipment, as uh, the equipment that we need was not here, but in Italy, and you need to cross the borders with all the problem that it was uh, crossing borders at the time. But we managed to do it. We are here. And yeah, it was not the time that we are going to remember as a bad time for the job. It was bad time for the society. That's great to hear. I mean, Fred, as far as the observatory goes, your observatory, I guess some of your colleagues have, have had more challenges. Um, I'm going to add your observatory to the list of uh, places that I want to go when I do my astrotourism trip around the world. I have to ask, what is that mysterious looking circle of tall stones that is just across from your, your telescope dome? It is a replica. The original is eight kilometers from here. So uh, to, to try to explain kids uh, what was an observatory 4,000 years ago. And the observatory was not for stars, but for the sun. And it was a calendar. So we just took the one that is on the St. Angel Hill near, near our observatory and make a replica near the observatory to show them the difference in perception of the sky and everything. And also for the summer solstice, it is the stage for the musical festival that we have. So ah. <laughs> at first we, we made it for the stage, but after the festival ended, people just decided it's too beautiful, let's leave it there, it is going to be for the next year and it is going to be for the next year and now it is it is part of the environment of the observatory and the musical festivals during the summer solstice, so it is there. Art and science brought together, as it should be. I look forward to visiting in person someday. And uh, Carrado, I'll simply congratulate you and the rest of your team there on the great work that you're doing. And uh, congratulations once again on receiving this uh, Shoemaker Neo grant. You are welcome to come and thanks for the grants, for the interest and the unbelievable job that uh, Planetary Society is doing. And all these non-governmental organizations, states that are doing an unbelievable contribution to the society, not only the astronomical one, but also this connection to society and science and, and to play in between. So the Planetary Society and the founders were one of... When we are speaking about the founding of the Planetary Society, education was always in the mind of Carl Sagan. So, Absolutely. yeah, thanks you for the educational part, especially. Thank you. You heard Bruce Betts talk up front about the importance of searching southern hemisphere skies for near-Earth objects. That's what Alain Marie and his colleagues, Georgia Tard and Daniel Parrott, do from Chile's Atacama Desert, where so many of Earth's leading observatories are based. While George is in France and Daniel in the U.S., Alain lives on site in the picturesque village of San Pedro de Atacama. It's where I stayed a few years ago when I visited the Atacama Large Millimeter Array, 
the radio telescope complex that is 6,000 meters above sea level in the region's ridiculously dry air. The Planetary Society has awarded $8,000 to Alain's map survey for the purchase of two new digital cameras. Alain-Marie, welcome to Planetary Radio and congratulations to you and to your partners at the MAP Observatory on uh, getting this uh, Shoemaker Neo grant. Uh, We're delighted to be able to talk to you a little bit about what the grant's going to do for you and the work that you do there at MAP. Welcome. Thank you. We are very, very, very happy, really. And we are very happy to be able to uh, help you in your work down there. Your observatory, in a relatively short period of time, has had stunning success. Uh, Bruce Betts tells me that MAP set a record with its discovery of 33 near-Earth objects through July of last year, just in something like the first year of your operation? Well, now we're at 65 or something. The, the wow. last one was this morning. Oh, and, uh, amazing. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's an Aten asteroid, one that orbits inside the orbit of the Earth mostly. Now it's been uh, very, very impressive, but it's a conjunction of very a, a lot of different factors. And it didn't happen like just like that. Uh, we we had a lot of work during 2020, and started uh, really observing in yeah, about a year ago, and then have been very very successful. In fact, to the point, if you look at the discoveries from 2021, we were the fourth group of asteroid discoverers behind, of course, the NASA finance programs who use like PanStar and 1.8 meter telescope. Uh, Catalina's 1.5, Atlas has two telescopes of 50 centimeter. And so we, we were the first group just with two telescopes. The ground for us is very important because it is going to allow us to use two more telescopes. What happened is that uh, I used to work in professional observatory as a technician and an engineer. But uh, when I worked at uh, Palomar Observatory, I met people like uh, Eleanor Helene and Jean Shoemaker, who gave me the virus. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of contagion. And then um, when I left professional astronomy, at least, and do astrotourism, I, I had in my mind to keep looking for asteroids, even though it's, it's becoming harder and harder in the Year 2000, it was very easy for an amateur to discover asteroids because everything was to be done. Uh, now, uh, most of the asteroids we find are already discovered. And very often we discover something, then we make more observation. And a few days later, some guy at the MPC uh, find that it's like 2003, so and so and so. And so we lose the discovery. But uh, it's, it's very useful because, uh, of course, um, discovering is one thing. And then, of course, improving the orbits is another uh, very important uh, thing. Extremely important. I mean, we have talked frequently on this program about the important follow-up work that so-called amateur astronomers do. Uh, Of course, you are not amateur in any way, except, of course, that uh, you you do this out of uh, love for for astronomy. Uh, And you've already revealed, because of this recent start, I thought, wouldn't it be terrible if when I visited the Atacama, where I'm speaking to you now at your home in San Pedro de Atacama, um, if I missed seeing your observatory, but I don't think you had established it yet uh, when I made my trip there to go up to the Alma array. Very likely I was, but uh, didn't have all the domes uh, that we have now. Uh, starting 2009, we start, I started to put like uh, robotic telescopes 
because I felt uh, I shouldn't depend only of, uh, on tourism. And it was a very wise <laughs> decision because the last two years have been uh, very, very hard. I mean, there was no tourism at all. It's barely starting again now. When tourism started to work really good, then I had money for my toys. And so I could buy the telescopes and wide field telescopes. So I bought one and I said, wow, that's great. Then I bought two, three, four. Uh, the cameras uh, also make a big difference because we used to use a CCD camera and now we have a thinned CMOS camera for a very, very good price. But when I had the money to buy them, they were not available. They just came out and they were announced. And then so I could find one in California, uh, one in France. And then I was lucky to get uh, two more. The other aspect was you need very powerful computers. Data miners uh, <laughs> get them before they are on the market. It was also very hard to uh, get them. And so I was able to find a few on eBay's and, and so on and so on. And so uh, getting the equipment was very complicated. What we do also with, uh, with the telescope is when, when we have a discovery, we send the observation to another bigger telescope except the bigger telescope uh, was with the CCD cameras one was not as efficient as the small ones. So we had to use one of the camera uh, there. And so we could only run for now with two telescopes and one confirmation telescope. It's been very important to, to make a confirmation in real time. The other aspect is, of course, the participation of my two friends. Um, I'm really very, very lucky to work with these two guys. Daniel is like so bright. Wow. You know, I worked in professional astronomy and short of one or two guys, I've never found a, a, a guy that was as good as him as far as computers and stuff. I had learned about what we call synthetic tracking that was invented by uh, Mike Shao at uh, JPL. I read their article and I was like, Man, I didn't understand well. So I sent them an email to see, etc. And in fact, we started to kind of collaborate because uh, they were very good in software, but uh, not too good in small telescopes. Uh, but then independently, uh, Daniel Parrott had started this program and he contacted me. Well, I was so happy that he had already a working program and we improved it quite a lot. I mean, he improved it using our recommendation. And George turned out also to be a very, very bright guy. He's a guy who tells you, yeah, that cannot be done. It's complex and so on. And the following day, he said, well, I wrote it and you let me try and let me see if it works. And so we are, now we have a really a suite of software, which I, I never seen in any professional observatory. It's very cool to observe. You, you know, look every one hour and you see if there is a detection. If not, you can click on a button and see if it's known or not known. I mean, very, very nice uh, system. So I'm, I'm very happy and very happy to work with these two guys. What an amazing advance over not that many years ago. Still not easy, but still so much easier now. And you're not new to this game. I, th I mean, first of all, I think it's wonderful to hear that you were actually mentored by Gene Shoemaker himself, whom this uh, grant program is named after. I saw that your your first discovery was way back in 1983. And, and then you were telling me what I'd seen uh, also when I read about you, that you spent some time at, uh, at the Mount Palomar Observatory, not far from where I am now, doing uh, survey work there. I, I am envious of you actually living in the Atacama, where the most beautiful night skies I have ever seen 
are right there, just a f- uh, walking a couple of hundred feet away from the little village. It, it seems like a marvelous place to do astronomy. And, and I'm glad to hear that astrotourism is starting to make a comeback. Mm-hmm. That's very important because, uh, of course, the, the equipment we have was accumulated over, over the years. It was also a good thing because then when you buy equipment, uh, we travel to California. We sometimes went to New York as well. And then come back with a lot of suitcases full of computers and stuff, <laughs> which of course are kind of hard to find in Chile. Or when you find something, it's like twice, three times the price and so on. So we've been uh, doing a lot of traffic between you know, between California, where there are places that sell telescope and <laughs> and computers and things. So we accumulated the equipment that was needed and we started to do tests and stuff. And in 2020, we found our first NEO. And it was like, uh, wow, maybe it's a luck. <laughs> and then we started to find more and more. And uh, it's very, very nice. At Palomar, of course, my work on survey was like uh, I was processing photographic plates. Uh, I discovered quite a few of the uh, nearest objects at the time. But, you know, there are monsters, uh, you know, things that were H magnitude uh, 16, very, very bright object, very big object, because there were still a lot of them to be found. And then, uh, of course, in the last 20 years, the Space Guard Survey, I mean, the programs from NASA have done a huge work to clear the thing out. And now, when you find an asteroid, which is like uh, H magnitude, what we call the absolute magnitude, uh, 19 or 20, you, you, you have the impression you found a big guy. Uh, whereas at the time, we had like uh, huge things. When I came back to France, we discovered Tutatis, uh, which is like a six kilometer uh, NEO. That's good size. Yeah, that'll yeah, take you, a you, you don't find that type of thing anymore. It's, it's, <laughs> it's over. Uh, now, very often, you find very small objects. But it's important because, you know, a 100, 200-meter object can be quite a bad, uh, bad news. Absolutely. Tell me, now that the grant has been awarded, how long do you think it will be before you have those two new cameras and four telescopes to uh, to continue this terrific work? The, the two telescopes that you've seen in the picture, so these telescopes were bought like in 2018, 2019, but didn't have the camera for them. So now uh, we, we have uh, the t- two fields, one on top of the other. Now we're going to have four fields. So we'll have, instead of uh, 3.3 by 4.4 degrees, we'll have 6.6 by four by four degree, which means we will scan much more sky in right ascension. We're also going to put very soon two more telescopes. So we'll have six telescopes on the sky. Uh, hopefully two more should come like very, very soon. And now uh, with the, the two cameras, Daniel will buy them and we'll come to visit Chile because one of the weird things, we work very often together. I mean, George, I talk to him every day, Daniel every two, three days or something like that. But I never met them. Ah, interesting. <laughs> and so Daniel is going to come to Chile to see, well, to see the Atacama Desert to observe and also to see all the equipment and stuff. And I, I will meet him for the first time other than with uh, Skype. I hope that he loves the Atacama as much as I did during my brief visit there. It is wonderful to hear about how the work that you have already done, stunning success, is only going to be amplified by... Uh, Uh, what you're able to do with these two new cameras and eventually those two new telescopes as well. Thank you so much, Elam, for uh, taking us through uh, what you're up to there at MAP, which I will point out is an acronym for your three names, you and your partners, Amari, Atar, and uh, Parrot. I look forward to visiting it again someday and uh, 
taking a peek through some of your telescopes. And then, and then if I go to Chula Vista, <laughs> we, can, <laughs> we can talk. We have to basically go every year if you want, you know, you want to keep the equipment and so on and so on up to date. So maybe we'll meet there. I would love that. Uh, let me know if you are ever in the uh, Southern California area, even if it's not close to San Diego, uh, and uh, we will get together. You'll have to come by Planetary Society headquarters as well, assuming that we've relaxed our own pandemic limitations. Yeah. But- I, I, I've been to the place there and uh, met with uh, Emily at the time. Oh, yes, Emily Lacamala, my former and still terrific colleague. Oh, that's uh, that great. was like uh, five five years ago when I went to uh, because I also still have friends in Caltech, not a lot. They're getting older, <laughs> uh, but uh, now I visited uh, the the place and I, I know a little bit the history of the of the whole thing because uh, I've been started in California like in 1984. That's already a long time ago. We will happily welcome you back and uh, once again congratulations on the grant and on this terrific work that that you and your partners do. Yeah, okay. Thank you very much because really it's going to change our life. Thank you. So there are three of the eight winners in the uh, just-completed Shoemaker-Neo grant program round. The guy who's in charge of that program, the guy we started the show with, is back with us. He's the chief scientist of the Planetary Society. Welcome, Bruce Betts. I want to mention one thing that I failed to mention earlier, which is who is Gene Shoemaker, who the program's named after. And he was a planetary geologist who was one of the critical people in figuring out the importance of impact and impact cratering in the solar system, including on Earth, and also has had a very talented observer, astronomer wife, and they found objects and he studied objects and did all sorts of great stuff when he passed away in an accident in 1997, that was the impetus for starting the program and naming it after him. You have not heard the interviews yet, so I don't know that you know that Alain Maury from the MAP Observatory in Chile, he was in, more or less introduced to this field by Gene Shoemaker. They knew each other well, and uh, Shoemaker was something of a mentor. Oh, well, that's neat. No, I hadn't heard that. I I knew Gene and interacted with him and have, have stories, but uh, perhaps another time. I'd love to hear some of those sometime. But for now, tell us about the night sky. It's all pretty dawn when it comes to planets these days. Uh, So those of you up, still up, I assume, at 5 or 6, 7 in the morning, whatever time happens, then you can check out a bunch of planets in the east. Uh, Shortly before dawn, we've got Venus looking super bright, as always. Mars to its lower right, pretty nearby. You might still be able to catch Mercury. It's going to be much lower to the left along with Saturn. But the really the easy ones are Venus and Mars to its lower right. Mars looking reddish. We do have some great constellations in the evening sky. We've got Orion up over there in the south and the east. And Orion points to Sirius, the brightest star in the sky. And hey, if you've got a big view of the sky, you can check out the winter hexagon made up of six really bright stars surrounding Orion. The first one we'll start with is Rigel, the blue star in Orion. And then to its uh, over clockwise is Sirius, the brightest star in the sky. Up, Procyon, over, Pollux, down, Aldebaran. There's six stars, Matt. That makes... A hexagon. It's not a very regular hexagon, but it's it's kind of close. So what's up with Castor? Castor, the evil twin, the chopped liver? 
he is not chopped liver. Uh, he is known as the evil twin, though. Now, Caster, <laughs> Caster hanging out with Pollux is uh, is worth seeing. Caster is dimmer, which is why it doesn't get included in the Winter Hexagon, but it is part of the twins. So, yeah, go ahead and check out Caster along with Pollux, but do not believe anything he says. <laughs> All right, keep going. This week in space history, 1962, John Glenn became the first American to orbit the Earth. 1986, the first piece of what would become the Mir space station was launched by the Soviet Union. And if we go back a little bit farther, further in history, we get to Pluto being discovered in 1930 this week by Clyde Tombaugh. Another great tie-in to uh, the conversations we just had with Shoemaker Neo Winders, uh, because Gary Hug, there's a telescope there that's the Tombaugh telescope. It actually uses a mirror that Clyde Tombaugh, what did he say? Did he help to grind the mirror? I forget now. Oh, I should remember. Anyway. Wow. Yeah. Let's move on to the... As of now, the largest asteroids predicted to fly within one lunar distance of Earth. You may ask yourself, what are they? When are they? Well, we've got... 2001 WN5, which we've discussed before, which is almost a kilometer in diameter, comes 0.6 lunar diameters away in June of 2028. The next year, Apophis comes back and uh, flies by a 300-meter asteroid within one-tenth of a lunar distance within the orbit of geostationary satellites. Then if you're skipping ahead and thinking about, hey, what's going to happen in 2140? You will get 2000 W0107 is going to fly by, and it's uh, it's about 500 meters. How close is that one going to get? About 500 meters. No, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's close. That's a close call. <laughs> <laughs> Look out, people. <laughs> Great, now I'm going to be quoted. Planetary Society chief scientist says, uh, has, it will be fine, though. It'll just pass right through the atmosphere. It's complicated. No, that is not true at all. Uh, it will come by and it will be 0.63 lunar distances away from the Earth. Nothing to get upset about. No, in I should have said not, nothing to get upset about. And that's what we know now. We're looking and tracking and figuring, making sure there's nothing else. Whew. Trivia, 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 trivia contest. I asked you, what working spacecraft are at or nearby in a halo orbit, the Earth-Sun-Lagrange point two L2 off uh, about a million and a half kilometers on the opposite side of the Earth from the Sun, a gravitationally kind of stable point. I'm just going to take us directly to the winner this time. He is a first-time winner in California. Drum roll, please. I actually have one here somewhere. Matt Boyles. Matt Boyles, who has been listening to us for a long time, but uh, he is a first-time winner with this. He says there are three spacecraft currently active at L2, Gaia, Spectre RG, and, of course, the new arrival, the new kid in the neighborhood, the James Webb Space Telescope, or JWST. Is that correct? That is indeed correct. Congratulations, Matt Boyles. We are going to send you, or we will have the studio, I guess, send you that package of swag from the movie Moonfall. It's a huge hit. No, it's actually not. But pick up the Blu-ray when it comes out because there's a brilliant 
brilliant uh, special feature involving brilliant, brilliant scientists. Which is probably, from what I've heard, the only actual science that may be connected to that entire film. Yeah, that could be true. <laughs> the movie is not doing that great at the box office, but I still want to see it because I'll bet it's still a little bit of fun. We're going to send you, Matt, that package of all kinds of stuff and some tickets. But the way things are going, they'll have to get them to you quickly and they'll have to <laughs> run down to the local theater because I'm not sure it's going to be there that much longer. Sorry, but box office was kind of a bust. Hey, maybe we'll throw in a rubber uh, a rubber asteroid just uh, just to be cool about this. What do you think? <laughs> I think we always uh, should do that whenever possible. Uh, throwing rubber asteroids is a favorite pastime. For me too. Uh, Norman Kassoon talked about some of the other spacecraft. You wanted the ones that are still working. I guess uh, Planck or Planck was there and uh, a Chinese one, uh, Changyu 2. You know about those? Yes, yes. No, and they, um, I believe, nicely moved uh, every, everything that was hanging out there was moved out of there into other orbits, into heliocentric orbits, because other spacecraft are going to want to be there because it is this relatively stable point that's particularly where you want to put these telescopes because you don't have interference from, uh, from Earth in terms of uh, light and stuff like that. It is apparently becoming a pretty busy neighborhood. Here's some Mark Little in uh, Northern Ireland. Another seven probes are planned to go there in the future, along with traffic lights, a few zebra crossings, and <laughs> collision avoidance bumpers. <laughs> that I did not know. Got to stay on top of this stuff. I won't give you the entire lyric uh, lyrics from these uh, these folks. Perry Metzger in New Hampshire or Robert Klein in Arizona. But it starts like this. Home, home on Lagrange, <laughs> where the Gaia and JWST play, <laughs> where seldom is heard a Spectre RG unless you're collecting radio science data. That's good. Sorry. That's very well done. Yeah, except they don't do radio science, so that was wrong. Joe Caliputre in New Jersey, speaking about uh, Spectre, that X-ray probe. But but do we really know that's what it's about, Spectre? Beware, Mr. Bond. <laughs> and along those lines from Mel Powell in California, shouldn't Spectre be parked at Lagrange Point 007? <laughs> I don't expect you to die, Mr. Bond. I expect you to do science. <laughs> That's good. And finally, one poem this week from Gene Lewin in Washington. Spectre, Gaia, and JWST all working now at L2, you see. A balancing act is here employed, a three-body problem they all enjoy. Oh, nice. Nicely done. What do you got for next time? All right, we're going to finish off the uh, Neo episode, the Near-Earth uh, near Asteroid episode with the Near-Earth Asteroid question. In 2021, what were the top three asteroid surveys in terms of Near-Earth Asteroid discoveries? Top three professional asteroid surveys in terms of finding first finding near-Earth asteroids. Go to planetary.org slash radio contest. You have until the 23rd, February 23rd at 8 a.m. Pacific time, this time around. And somebody is going to win. And I've been waiting for this for a long time. See this book? Isn't that cute? I do. I see that. Good night, Moonbase. And it's really sweet. It's very clever. 
It, of course, is based on that great genre. It's become a genre, the Goodnight Moon books. And there are, you know, a whole raft of books that uh, pay tribute to that. Well, Goodnight Moon Base has been uh, written by Brett Hofstadt. It's illustrated by Steve Tanaka. And uh, I have a signed hard copy in my hands. And uh, this is the copy that will be going to uh, whoever makes it past random.org this week uh, with the correct answer. It's uh, published by Aero Maestro. Brett and Steve have been working on this a long time. It is now available in all the usual places, I believe. That's it. We're done. All right, everybody, go out there, look in the night sky, and think about what you'd think about while ski jumping. Thank you, and good night. Huh. I think I'd be thinking, no! (laughs) He's Bruce Betts, the chief scientist of the Planetary Society, who joins us every week here for What's Up. It'll be okay, Matt. It'll be okay. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by its generous members. You can become part of their defense of our world at planetary.org slash join. Mark Hilverda and Jason Davis are our associate producers. Josh Doyle composed our theme, which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. Add Asteroid.